This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. Today we're talking hab- habit, the dark, underbelly, neon-lit streets of Manchester, I do believe, Simeon Halligan, the director of said movie. Hi. Hello. How are you doing, Stuart? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. So, your latest film, we, we uh, BritFlix covered uh, White Settlers when that, was, yeah. when that was around. So this is your next film, yeah? After White yes. Settlers? Is, so, yeah. so, do you want to give the the, 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 the Britflix audience a uh, little brief synopsis to what habit is? I will try. Go it's on. always please do. Not, it's not knowing whether to give too much of the pot away, but um, sell me the sizzle, not the steak. <laughs> um, so, habit is uh, it's actually based on a novel, okay, McGee, and it's ba- it's set in Manchester, mm-hmm. and it's about centres on a guy a character called Michael, who in the film is played by. Um, Elliot James Language, who was the lead guy in a film called Northern Soul, which you may have seen a couple of years ago. I did, yes. Um, and uh, it, it, this is a, this Michael's a character is kind of pretty down on his luck, and some, you know that something dark and tragic's happened in his past, and he's a bit of a mess, really. He's a twenty, he's in the kind of early twenties, signing on. Life, life isn't brilliant, and he meets this girl called Lee, who introduces him, and she kind of draws him into her world. She introduces him to her uncles, so-called uncles. Uh, massage parlour, which is on a back street somewhere in the northern quarter of Manchester. Um, and he ends up getting a job at this place and looking after the, and working with the, the, the girls that work in the, in the massage parlour. But un- unbeknown to him, there's something dark and mysterious that goes on in this place. And beneath, beneath the massage parlour, they get up to, to very dark dealings, things that are well beyond what you expect them to do. And he's slowly but surely sucked into their world and introduced to this underbelly world that's very dark and very kind of um, visceral, um, and they want to introduce him to what they do and what they get up to. And as he becomes part of their world, he discovers that this underworld, this group of people, um, spreads across not only um, the massage parlour but other venues across Manchester and maybe across the nation, you never know. Um, and so that's the basic general story about of, of, of the plot. I won't, I won't give you any more. No, no, no. That sounds. It's, that was enough sizzle for me. I'm, Good. I'm in. I mean, I've been, I've been aware of this since you announced you. you obviously, since you announced you're making it. Since it made the, the the film press to say it was getting made, and being being a uh, 
a past resident of Manchester. I uh, grew up there. It's always, yes. I'm always excited to hear when people use Manchester explicitly as a backdrop and then to then make a stylized genre film with, um, with Manchester as a backdrop. I should add that I've not seen the film yet, so I'm talking from... I'm talking blind to uh, to Simeon about this, but yeah, no, no one's seen it yet. I know they haven't. No, that's what I'm saying. I just, <laughs> I just, uh, I just want to make it clear that I've got, I've got some secret insight here. But yeah, no, I'm I'm excited by that 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 idea anyway. As someone who, who grew up in Manchester and when when people you you know look in a way, and it probably it probably seemed like a crass comparison, but you know. Um, the way that Winding Refn sort of looks at LA, it's like he just gives you a view that is a very cinematic one as opposed yeah. to a documentary one. And I think yeah. that's what Manchester really needs in my mind. And I'm glad somebody's took that, took the baton on to do that. Um, now, you, you wrote the screenplay, so adapted the novel. So let's start there first. So coming across a novel you want to make a film out of, or did the novel come to you saying, make a film out of me? Which way around was it? Uh, oh, God, it's difficult to say now. Um, it's weird how film projects come together. You know, it, it's, I, I don't tend to be, God, I wish I was more prolific as a, as a writer, as a screenwriter, mm -hmm. and, and come out with original ideas, but I, I, I don't always, very often. Um, and I find that process really quite hard. I, I'm a visual person, really. I come from a design background. I used to be a production designer and art director for film mm -hmm. and TV. So that's my kind of background. Um, I do love writing, and I, I particularly love working with writers, um, but I wouldn't really consider to myself to be a screenwriter, particularly more a director. Um, but what happened with Habit was that um, I read the book and I liked it and I thought it, it, this could make a film. Uh, and then I, you know, I talked to a few other people, colleagues of mine that had read it, and some of them were like, oh, you, do you think this is going to work? Because the book is written first person and every, the world that you enter, you see everything through Michael's eyes. And it, it's, it's a great book. And I... I, I you know, I do recommend people go read it, particularly if you love Manchester, because it's all set in real places in Manchester. Every single place in the book is a real place. Even though it's a piece of fiction, every single place in the book is a real place. So he, he's a Mancunian himself, is he? The guy, the author? I think he's possibly from Liverpool originally, but he's lived Amazing. in Manchester for many, many years. Um, so he he knows Manchester inside out. And even down to the kind of like, you know, the place where Michael lives, the kind of grotty flat that he lives in, was a real place. In fact, it, I think it might have been somewhere that Stephen lived in when he was kind of a student or something. So oh, yeah. what was interesting was he took me around all the real places. When, so when I, when I went to talk to him about possibly turning into a, into a film and we had a chat about it and we started discussing how that might work, um, he took me on a tour around all the, all the, the places that are actually in the book. And that was fascinating because it helped me kind of visualise the world that the, the book is set in. Um, and uh, we didn't. A lot of those places we didn't shoot at because it just wasn't possible to do so. Um, you know, for instance, the massage parlour, which is a really important location in the book um, and fe obviously features highly in the film. We couldn't shoot. There is a real massage parlour. And it is actually called, it did used to be called Cloud Nine. It isn't called that anymore. It still exists, but it has a different. <laughs> we couldn't shoot in the real massage parlour, obviously. Um, so we built a set for that in the end in the in the Pie Factory, which is a soundstage uh, place in Media City. Uh, right. So, um, but we we created the exterior on a back street in the northern quarter. So the, the, the thing about Habit is, to me, it feels like it's set. Even though it's written a couple of years ago, it feels like it was set. It's set fifteen, twenty years ago. Yeah. The, the northern quarter, part of Manchester, that it's a lot of it's set in. It's seedy back streets and stuff. It's not that seedy anymore. 
I mean, some of those little back streets are still there and still seedy, but most of the Northern Quarter has been turned into a kind of very trendy uh, kind of area now, which has been, you know, um, lots of trendy bars and... Yeah, you're talking to some... I used to work in the Labrooks on Swan Street, opposite, oh, right. opposite what was the old Daily Express building back in 91. Right. So, yes, it has changed considerably. <laughs> so, the, the actual massage parlour is on Swan Street. Ah, right, okay, cool. I know exactly what you mean then, yeah. The one in the book is, not the one that, that we recreated in the film. That was, we put that on a different street, but yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that was, that was in 91 for certain. Gee whiz, it was... Uh... Know that, but you know what it was like. And yes, I do, yeah. Have it kind of, you know, uh, pictures in a way. Um, it's kind of the Northern Quarter just before it kind of, lots of money was spent on it, you know. No, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, so from a kind of adapting a book, then, and and it's you know, essentially, you say that the challenge already is if a film's happening in somebody's head through their eyes, that doesn't make for a good film because that's just a load of voiceover. Um, yeah, and, it was it was a challenge, and it's funny. Earlier drafts and script, we had a lot of voiceover because yeah. it was the obvious that you know you take stuff out of the book and it of just, course, yeah, no, no, I've seen it a million times. But we gradually, uh, I mean, I I ended up Stephen who wrote the book. I, I did ask him whether he wanted to get involved in writing the script, and eventually it, it, I kind of felt like he wasn't wanting to do it. I don't know. So <laughs> we were going to do it together, and in the end it was kind of like, right, I think I'm doing it. So I actually ended up writing the screenplay based on the book. And uh, he, he kind of got – he helped out and uh, worked with me uh, just in terms of kind of once I'd had drafts, we'd sit down and talk about it, and I brought a couple of people to, that, that I trust together, him and – uh, another guy that I work with sometimes on scripts and stuff, and we, you know, talked it through. Um, uh, and uh, slowly but surely, because it was a difficult, it was a tricky process, get, turning it into a film, and certain things that worked in the book didn't necessarily work in early drafts of the screenplay. Um, you know, characters would come and go. There wouldn't necessarily be a character art for certain, char- certain uh, characters. Well, in, the, in the novel, characters would come and go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which in a novel you, you can get away with or, or, or can work. It's fine, it's fine, isn't it? It's perfectly fine. <laughs> we came to realise, you know, with the script that it wasn't really working so much so well, some of those characters. So, for instance, the the main antagonist in the film, who is a guy that's a threat to this, you know, this group that the Michael becomes part of this kind of cult, this this, this group of people that do very strange stuff. Um, and uh, But there's one gangster character that's a real threat to their world and he becomes the main antagonist in the film. And I had to develop him much further than was in the book because he kind of just steps in uh, at the end of the book and isn't really kind of threaded throughout the story. And I realised, obviously, after the after the point, you know, later on when you look back at it, it seems obvious that that's what you should do. But when you're in the middle of developing a screenplay, those decisions are quite hard. Quite, it's difficult to to realise that you you know you need to kind of seed this character through from, from earlier on to to give him. No, to I think make, you're totally right. Uh, I think a, a film, a, a, whether we like it or not, a film, a film needs to seed its resolution, even if it's oblique. Whereas a book can go da da, and you go Jesus, well, it was Father know, Christmas all the time. Every rule is there to be broken, though, isn't it? I just so you know, uh, but I just felt that. For this particular story, for it to work, we did need to make some of those changes. It took a while to make those changes work, but I hope that the film does succeed. Well, uh, no, but, but the, it doesn't have to be explicit. It can just be tonally. I mean, obviously, yeah. uh, quite famously in recent years, um, Kill List was kicked and applauded for doing the yes. the, the, the Wicker Man, the ending. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. I, and I've interviewed Andy Stark about it before, and he said, you know, we have people who are vehemently, who we call now, Act 3 deniers. 
because they go, we love the first two acts and don't like the don't like the final yeah. act. Yeah. And, and you think totally, it's all there. It's not. Yeah. Ex- it's not explicit. It's not saying, yeah, definitely, there's going to be a pagan thing towards the end. But when you look back, it's all there. So it's, it's just not always about explicitly seeing but yeah. So in terms of a film I've looked at before where I've read the novel and I've watched the film is Waking Fright, the Australian movie. Oh, yeah. And in the novel, it is like, like what you're describing with Habit, is it's very much from the point of view of him experiencing this, 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 this time he gets yeah. himself trapped in this, um, in this outback town. Yes. And the character of Donald Pleasance in the film is, is barely in the book. And what you realise they did for the, for the film choice is they've given all the thoughts that were in the hero's head and put them as almost like accusations from Donald Pleasant's character. Oh, that's so then, really interesting. Okay, yeah. So yeah. I just wondered, what, what, were, what were your tricks that you did to sort of try and get some of those important parts? Because you can't cover every page of a book because the film's not long enough. But in terms of those kind of getting thoughts in head out into the action, what were some of the tricks you had to do? Um, it, it's incredibly difficult because, you know, again, I, I don't consider myself to be a major screenwriter. So... Um, it was something I started to realize was quite tricky because also if a story is written first person, like you're suggesting, like you're saying, it's, it, you're not necessarily hearing their thought processes or, I mean, or sorry, in a book you're hearing their thought processes, but you can't necessarily convert them to a film very easily because how do you convey thought processes, you know, visually with pictures and sound? So the other issue with, with habit was that the lead character is quite an insular character. You know, he doesn't necessarily, um, he, his character journey in art isn't necessarily huge. He doesn't, he does go on a journey, but it's a subtle journey. Mm. And I have to try and make that journey a little bit stronger. Um, he, he tends to internalize things and he's not a character that gives a lot of, a lot of way about what he's thinking. Cause that's kind of who he is. It's very kind of, he's quite insular mm. and he's not, he's not a proactive, necessarily proactive character in, in the book not hugely proactive that's the kind of person he is and um so he's like a passenger in his own story as it were to a certain extent you know things happen to him yeah, and yeah, he, yeah 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 he reacts to them but he doesn't necessarily kind of like you know they all say you, you know um traditionally with stories that the the um the lead character has to it should be proactive and should make changes and become a, a better person by the end of the story yeah 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 and you know it was difficult with this character because he's he, he doesn't necessarily it's <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't his arc isn't huge um but it, but it is there so i had to emphasize that a little bit more uh i think and i had to make him a little bit more proactive than he is in the book um i in terms of trying to convey his thought processes um yeah interesting um i needed an actor who could try to convey his thoughts through his performance to a certain extent, because he doesn't always say a lot. Well, no, I mean, I, th- I think, a good, given the way you've described it, it it's reminded me of um, Emily Blunt's character in Sicario. She's not active at all. She's, yeah. She goes from one banana situation to another, and she's yeah. constantly trying to, she's almost like half drowning in the problem she's in, as opposed to able to resolve it, because the minute she gets her head around any situation, she's thrown into something wilder. And, and, and basically, you're right, yeah, you're right. It's almost like the performance... Is, is is allowing the audience to understand the confusion yeah, as opposed to saying, oh, I don't like this. Why aren't we, you know? I, I think that that really depends on the actor. I'm very, mm. very lucky that Elliot James Langridge, who played the lead role, Michael, 
he is very expressive, you know, in terms of the way he performs without necessarily having to say a lot. Mm. And a lot, I think he really, he really conveys his, his inter- interior, his internal emotion stuff through his performance. And so I think I was very lucky with him. I think he really kind of gives us what we need for that character. He kind of takes us on the journey. You do empathize with him and you do, I, I think so. And I think you go on the journey with him and, 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 you know, he becomes something that's pretty unsavory in this film. And, yeah. Uh, to most people, <laughs> uh, and we have to, the film is asking you to identify with him in that process and go on that journey with him, and it's something that most people would find abhorrent. So it'd be interesting to see whether people do enjoy that journey, embrace his character and his and, and where he goes with it, and and kind of understand, you know, what what he does and where he goes to, uh, because you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, I saw that. <laughs> yes, I watched Swiss Army Man. There's an example of a film about, you know, bizarre. have you seen Swiss Army Man? Yeah, you say Swiss Army Man as your phone vibrates and makes a fart sound down the uh, down the line <laughs> as well. That was quite that was quite well cued. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you, you that film you to identify with this bizarre relationship between yeah, 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 yeah. and, and uh, Daniel Radcliffe, and you know, he he kind of falls in love with a dead man, which is kind of. Abhorrent to most people, and you, and so I was quite fascinated by that film. I thought it was quite good, actually. Um, and it's not a huge comparison to Habit, but it's that it's just that thing of you know a character going somewhere that you you and you're expected to the audience to to go on that journey and identify with that character doing stuff that you wouldn't. Well, I think you... I'm going to say, but if you expect us, if you if you want to take us on a journey into the dark underbelly of anything, then to expect it to end in you know happiness and light is is a kind of weird expectation, isn't it? I mean, I go, I go back to the example I said before, you know, Waking Fright is an absolute cock, the main character, but yes. it, doesn't, it doesn't stop us empathising with the, with the pickle he gets himself into increasingly, it gets increasingly worse. Yes, yes. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it, it is fascinating. I, I think the way uh, Elliot plays the character and the way he kind of embraces that world and mm. by the end of the film hopefully you're with him I mean I keep wanting to I'd be really keen to make further stories around Habit I think that um, there is the potential to to expand the world you know and I want I want to find out more about um, you know this world that it presents I think it could be quite interesting to make more films or a TV series or something like that although not being a screenwriter myself um you know, we're still kind of scurrying around thinking, well, what are the other stories to be told in this and who could we work with to expand? Right. So in terms of, so you, you, you've mentioned that you shot on a soundstage to get the massage parlor stuff. Yes. So you built that. So I guess, I guess is that, did you do that? Because that is a, that is a kind of key venue where you, we go back to repeatedly or we spend a lot of time there. So it was, it was kind of worth your while to sort of do that as part of the production. Yeah. So, so in that sense then did going out into Manchester, as as a, as a location to shooting, what yes. were the ch- what were the challenges there? And given what you said already about you know almost like the vibe you were trying to sort of tap into is of a kind of on the cusp of the urban urban what do you call it urban renewal that went on in, that's gone on yeah. in Manchester the last twenty five years yeah is something that's happened. But obviously there's a time there's there's, there's a tipping point between the two things because even when I think back to when I worked at Swan Street, there still was like the dry bar already existed, but and, and night and day, but they were just, they were kind of little, they were like flagpoles of sanity in a street yeah. full of, full of absolute bonkers, <laughs> um, in, in many senses. And there's, and you know, last time I was in Manchester, I was having a beautiful American diner experience about 
four doors down from, uh, which is like the new coffee pot, which was an old greasy spoon in Stevenson Square, and it's now a, a really nice, huge yeah. venue, which I think I think they do live events and all kinds in there now. And it's sort of, I feel to myself, I feel like wow, you know, Manchester's a very different city. So, yeah, so definitely. that's a that's a long about that's a long way of me asking the question of how did you go about finding those real locations within Manchester post the urban renewal to to create the the vibe that you wanted to create for Habit. Because they're still there, but there's not so much. <laughs> Obviously, yeah, I never thought of it that way. <laughs> you know, you know, around the, down the little back streets, yeah, uh, in particular the Northern Quarter where this is set, and around you know, you know that area because you you know you used to live it. Um, they're still there. Um, there's just just so much less of it. That's all. Um, pick, back of Piccadilly, that kind of area, little 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 cobble streets, little streets down there. The back, and you've got a lot of those uh, kind of a lot of those back of those buildings have got kind of um, ancient old Victorian fire escapes on them and things like that. They, mm. It almost feels like kind of New York or something in a way. Some of those parts, um, and they have been used a lot. You know, they used um, they used some of those streets for Captain America and movies like that when they yeah, wanted. Yeah, yeah, yeah convey kind of in the UK sheets and it looks a bit like uh, you know period New York or something um, so what was your what was your be- what would you say is your best find in terms of what you're able to use cinematically around the streets of Manchester oh god um, well all the Northern Quarter stuff w- worked really well I mean that took some getting and mm. also took permission to shoot as well and finding the right people we talk- could talk to that would let us shoot uh, some of those buildings around the back of some of those buildings, it wasn't easy. Um, we managed to find somebody that, that looks after a bunch of those buildings um, and they, uh, for a fee, allowed us to shoot in them and around them. Right. Uh, that was a good find. If we hadn't had that, it would have been difficult. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it's... it's. Um, I think all of those kind of... I love all those little kind of back streets around the Northern Quarter. They've got a real atmosphere. And, and, through, and through lighting and a little bit of smoke and um, the way we shot it, I think we convey a kind of very atmospheric feel, which hopefully doesn't feel... I mean, I wanted to get this sense that it's, you know, um, slightly stylized, mm. um, But, you know, when I say neon sweat, neon you know, glow and rain-swept streets. There is a touch of that. But, you know, you do get that in Manchester anyway, so it's kind of heightening that, that vibe a little bit, I think, with the, with the, particularly the exterior stuff, nighttime stuff, you know, a lot of the nighttime stuff set around the Northern Quarter to give it that kind of... I don't know. It, some people have said some of the stills look a bit like Blade Runner. It's not, really, it's not Blade Runner, but it's, but it's got that kind of slightly kind of... Um, Take the compliments where you can find them, Simeon. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, it, so... We wanted to convey the atmosphere if we could a little bit, you know, and, and hide it a, a touch. Uh, and hopefully that's worked. For, for people who are not from Manchester or don't know the city, what's, what's the, and, and thinking of filmmakers in particular, what's Manchester like as a city to shoot in at night time? <laughs> tricky. I mean, I think all cities are tricky shooting, aren't they? I mean, we did have some moments, you, did, you know, because that, obviously that area, it's quite fascinating though. You can be just down a little back street. Yeah. You're just off the main drag and a lot of people just leave you alone, bizarrely. But you'll always get the odd kind of group of drunks that are 
you know, wander up and start causing trouble. We did have a bit of that. We did have people throwing bottles and God knows what else, because it just happens, doesn't it? I mean, you see, people see lights and they see a film crew in the middle of the night, two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, and you've got a crane or something, and the camera's up high, and you've got a bunch of lights everywhere, and a whole bunch of people all gathered around. You know, you're going to draw attention to yourself to a certain extent. So we did get we did get some hassle. It can be tricky, and. You know, it is a busy, busy area. No, I was going to say, even if you just go off those streets, you're, you're not a million miles from where all the action is at the same time, are you? Really, really close to it. But it's funny how kind of a lot of people are quite blinkered. They'll walk down the street and they don't really kind of look down that little back street because they never go down it. Mm. Uh, there's got no reason to go down it because there's no bar or club down there. But you'll still, you'll always find some people that, will, that, that are drawn to that um, and, and kind of um, spot the the film crew and decide to come and cause a load of hassle. So we did get a fair bit of that. Closing off, we had to close some roads and stuff, and that can be really tricky, um, and try to redirect traffic and stuff. So when you've got all that going on as well, particularly we did a scene where they come out of a club and it's supposed to be busy, uh, I think Thursday night, and um, it's it was it was tricky to kind of control, because we didn't have that many extras, we only had about three, four cars that were our cars that we could drive up and down, and then it was trying to control all all the actual real traffic that was going by and all the passers-by to, you know, if they're going to be in shot, then please don't start, you know, waving at the camera and all that kind of shit, and hopefully they're not going to be in shot and you try and control that space. But it can be difficult, because we're shooting down a long street and, you you know, it's hard to control everything with... We didn't have a massive crew, so... No, I was going to say, because, I mean, it's it's overly well for for Captain America to to come into Manchester and use a bit of it, because it will have the the economies of scale to just basically push everyone away, and it'll have bodies on the ground. I'm guessing you wouldn't have had that luxury, would you? Uh, We had... I mean, we had a decent-sized crew, but nothing to the scale of Captain America. (laughs) (laughs) Um, our film was, you know, um, in the hundreds of thousands, um, so it's quite low budget. Um, can, can you tell? Could you tell me uh, a fond memory of shooting the film that 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 someone that wasn't on the shoot would never have an idea about watching the final movie? Um, God, that's a difficult one. I'm thinking of something. Um, oh. I can think of a lot of difficulties. <laughs> well, tell, well, tell me how you over, Tell me in, in the difficulty sense. You obviously overcame them. So give me give me a difficulty that you overcame. It wasn't the easiest film shit. It was the hardest film I've shot. Part, partly maybe because it was a lot of urban stuff. All my previous films have tended to be. I've all been genre films, but they tended to be. You know, um, people go out to. Um, you know, yeah, white settlers. You were out in the wilds, weren't you? I suppose. The wilds, yeah, and the film I made before that, Splintered, was kind of generally set in the wilds as well. It was supposed to be in North Wales, although we didn't shoot in North Wales. And it was great to, to yeah, actually, you know, it was suddenly suddenly realizing we've made a couple of movies. We're based in Manchester. We've made a couple of movies that uh, are set one in Scotland and one set in North Wales. Why the hell are we not making movies that are set in Manchester? <laughs> in Manchester. So. That was one reason I really wanted to make this film. It's like, let's make something urban. Let's make it in our city. And then we, and then I did come to realise that actually we haven't. I can't think of a movie that's a horror movie that's been set in the city of Manchester for a long, long time. I mean, the last thing I can think of is Living Dead in the Manchester Morgue, which is 1973, I think. And it's and if you've seen it, you'll know it's not really set in Manchester anyway. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Heads up going to Lake District, doesn't it, and stuff. Yeah, um, I mean. I suppose, I mean, your, your, your star, one of your stars, um, Ian Marsh, is it? William Ash. William Ash, sorry, William Ian yeah. Marsh, we're talking about, but he's a footballer, isn't he? Uh, <laughs> William Ash was in Hush, which I, I'm he guessing was. was around Manchester, wasn't it? 
Or was it? Was uh, it not? Have you have you seen Hodge? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With, with going around the motorways and stuff. I just figured, oh, given the oh, two, yeah, it's good. I saw it a while back, and uh, I hadn't seen it when it first came out. I saw it obviously before we made this movie. I really liked it. Actually, actually, I think it's really, really good. No, I uh, think it's, it's a grossly underrated film, if I'm honest. Uh, yeah, but it never. It's not. Uh, it's not urban, really, is it? It's kind of set in the motorways mainly. Yeah, it's almost, is it northwest? It is in the northwest, though, isn't it? Yeah, it was made up here. Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah, that's what I, th- I figured it's from my memory of seeing it. It's a long time. North or. I think did Warp or Warp involved in making it, so it may have been more towards Sheffield way. I don't uh, know. Yeah, yeah, true. That, that's the truth. Kind of motorways and service stations, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the wilds. Well, um, let's uh, let's tell people when they can see uh, Habit. So we, what people won't know is, given the magic of podcasting, we've already talked about Grimfest. So on <laughs> Thursday, the fifth of October, Habit is opening Grimfest at the. It is. Uh, at the at the View Printworks Centre in Manchester, so it that's is. one place people can see it. Um, yes, seven o'clock. I, I've I've spoken, and in another podcast, I've spoken to the guys who are doing Mayhem Festival. Yes. Of which you're playing. What date you're playing there? Friday the thirteenth. I've got yo. You've got Friday thirteenth. You lucky bugger. Um, <laughs> I've forgotten that. Um, so where else can people? Where, what other opportunities are there to see Habit at the moment? I will let you know. Yes, it's screening a whole bunch of festivals, which we're really pleased about. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so after Mayhem, it's doing Celluloid Screams, which is the Sheffield-based genre film festival, horror genre festival. Yeah. That's in Saturday, the 21st of October, uh, I think 1.40 in the afternoon. Okay. Uh, it's doing Cambridge Film Festival. Okay. Uh, uh, not entirely sure the date, but somewhere around about the 23rd. Okay. Doing Dublin Horathon. Uh, screening on Friday the 27th of October. Uh, it's doing Abattoir, which is the Wales Genre Film Festival, in Cardiff on the 29th of October. Uh, it's doing another UK one, again in the north. I can't announce it yet because they haven't announced their lineup. So that's I'm not fine, like... that's fine, that's fine, I understand. But So, um, so that it's got it's a... Whole, it's doing a whole bunch of other festivals around the world, but maybe they're not so relevant to this, but yeah. Well, cool. Well, look, well, we'll we'll put on Twitter details for people to follow and they can keep track of of what's cool. going on, or Facebook or whatever, and people can keep track. And uh, thank you very much for giving us your uh, your insight into uh, the creating and making of uh, Habit. No worries. Thank you, Stuart. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes, and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. You did so.